Odd Networks is building a platform for anyone to launch their own over-the-top streaming video service. With Odd Networks, you can deploy your own video channel using a Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, or other services. Creating a streaming video service with interoperability between these different platforms presents numerous technical challenges, and today's guest, Chris Walker, explains how Odd Networks is addressing these challenges. We discuss the open-source projects of Odd Networks, including Oddworks, which encompasses the SDKs, stores, services, and middleware, and we discussed the event bus called Oddcast. We also spent a lot of time talking about the business model of this company and the just the general technical challenges of this strange landscape of proprietary, uh, over-the-top technologies. Before we get to this episode, a few quick announcements. One, check out Software Daily. This is a project that we are building as a software, the Software Engineering Daily community. It's led by Jeff Tribble. And um, we're building an open source news and information site about software. I think this is a really important thing that needs to exist in the world. And if you're a web developer working with React.js or Node.js, check out the Software Daily repo, which you can find at softwaredaily.com. Also, go to softwareengineeringdaily.com. Check out how to be a host for Software Engineering Daily. You can find links to the Slack channel. Sign up for the Slack channel. Sign up for the newsletter, which you can get curated content. Uh, you can also send me tweets, send me emails. Chris Walker is the president and co-founder of Odd Networks. Chris, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Hi, pleasure to be here. What is Odd Networks? Odd Networks is a little startup um, that we spun out of a video gaming company that is a platform for what we think is the future of television, meaning basically video delivered over internet. Mm. And this is called over the top in the case of Odd Networks. Can you explain what that term over the top means? Yeah, yeah. OTT is the acronym that's being thrown around, kind of the buzzword, and it it stands for over the top. Um, it was is a term that was kind of invented by the cable industry, um, and the the meaning of over the top kind of becomes a little bit more clear when you think about it from that perspective. Over the top is television content or any sort of video content that's delivered over the top of the set traditional set top box. So uh, anything that comes to you via your Apple TV or your Roku or through your mobile that you cast to your television uh, are all considered OTT over the top. Hmm. And this is Odd Networks is a service for launching my own video streaming service via over the top. Why would I want to do that? Yeah, so there's there's a few a few venues out there where content can make its way to a consumer. So the first thing that comes to mind for everyone is Netflix, of course, and then Hulu. Um, services, subscription services like that. Uh, and they have really great premium content. But to make those businesses survive, they have to be on what we call the head of the of the adoption curve. So they're looking for just the most popular content that's going to be uh, accessible and enjoyed by the largest worldwide audience that they think they can gather for that content. So that's where we see a lot of things like the original content coming into Netflix and Amazon um, Hulu's got some really great content, um, but there's all this other stuff out there that doesn't really have an appropriate home on um, YouTube or even Facebook for that matter. And these are things like, for example, one of the 
one of our customers runs a 24-hour poker channel. Um, it's kind of like the golf channel on cable TV, but it's poker and it runs 24 hours a day and there's video on demand and all those sorts of other stuff for, for poker fans. Um, they do, they do like game shows, they do broadcasts of some of the, the big tournaments. Um, right. This is poker central. And actually right. this use case is totally iconic of a pro. I mean, I encountered this cause I, I used to play a lot of poker and in, when I wasn't playing poker, I would be watching it. And in order to watch it, I would always have to either watch something on YouTube or I would have to flick around through these random channels that, uh, you know, I, I first I had to, I'd have to go to the TV guide and find them and just all these hacky ways of, of piecing together what was sort of, uh, actually a, 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 a popular vertical. So I think like the the idea that, from my perspective at least, you can tell me what you think of this over-the-top streaming verticalized service is that you have all these long tail categories, but each category actually is, is quite robust. It's quite big, um, and it's big enough to service an entire, uh, an entire platform. Yeah, exactly. That that's the idea. We're seeing this a lot with um, some sports. There's there's some really great uh, sports channels that do not only live video sports, but they they also do video on demand um, of things like high school and collegiate wrestling. And if you are a high school and collegiate wrestler, that's something you're really really into. And um, I, I don't know if you would necessarily be considered a fan of it. It's just something that was a part of your life for a long time. And they have very very loyal audiences that will pay. A surprisingly high subscription rate to that, um, and you know when I think back to all the things that I've been interested in my life, and and think about like what I would be interested in watching on TV, if there was something that was catered that closely to me, I, I certainly would pay the five, ten, or fifteen dollars a month. Hmm. With odd networks, am I? It, let's say I'm building a poker channel, for example. Does that mean I'm building an app using Odd Networks, or am I building a channel? What exactly is the development experience? Yeah, we like to call them channels. When it boils down to it, um, it's really a fleet of apps that you're that you're that you're putting out there. What kind of makes the modern era um, of app development a lot different than it was in, say, like 1999, 2000, 2001, is that when the when the web was blowing up, um, we had this really sort of beautifully designed protocol where HTML pages could be um, zoomed around the world. And you kind of had this minimal type of browser that was standardized in a way that it just became really accessible. Um, with the In the app world, with mobile apps and TV apps, the manufacturers have gotten kind of gotten us as consumers into a position where we kind of have to choose what platforms we want to be a part of. And they're not always interchangeable. That makes things really, really hard for developers. It's hard to standardize across. So if you wanna if you wanna release a channel on a Roku and an Apple TV, and you also wanna target iPhones and Android devices, that's really hard. That's a lot of work, and it's really expensive to keep all that up. So what our platform is is it's a an open source server, which has like a standardized protocol that allows you to build SDKs targeted for all those platforms, but with a lot of similarities between all of them. So you can serve the content out to all those devices in kind of a standardized, sort of more efficient way. Okay, you said it's a platform for building SDKs. So does that mean that, I mean, how do you standardize 
across that? How do you make it available for anybody to build a new SDK given their own platform? Yeah, so we have we have open source SDKs, um, which we've been getting a lot of activity on, which we're which we're really excited about. Um, and those the functionality in those continues to grow and grow and grow. Um, the the main the main kind of standardization is just a basic HTTP protocol. Where we're saying so it's sort of like we're standardizing on a JSON format for an RSS feed, and we're saying this is this is what this feed is always going to look like so that you can build all sorts of other software around it and use it as a platform for getting content out. So, you know, if there's if there's some sort of feature that you want to support in the future um, or something like that, that's not part of the SDKs and hasn't really been commoditized by everyone else who's using it, the capability will still be there for you to do that. Hmm. So Roku, for example, uh, or Apple TV, are these platforms open enough to be able to build an SDK on top of? They are. They are. You know, um, it's kind of interesting. I mean, even what has historically been, been considered the most closed platform around um, the the Microsoft Xbox ecosystem, that's that's an H, on the Xbox One anyway. It's an HTML5 and JavaScript setup. Um, which, yes, there are some pro- proprietary protocols underneath there. Um, they're sort of proprietary to that system. And some things that, you know, anyone who's certified to work on it is under an NDA. That's true. But HTML5 and JavaScript are not under an NDA. And that's really exciting because we can build a lot of software for that for that particular piece of hardware, that platform, that can be open sourced um, and that can become part of other platforms. So with the example of Xbox did you say it's HTML5 and JavaScript? It is, yeah. Okay. So do you have to write uh, specific stuff for how Xbox digests HTML5 and JavaScript? Or is this, can you write it for Xbox and it also works for web? Um, you know, Give me an example of writing the SDK for Xbox, for example. Yeah, so our our hope was that we could write an HTML5 SDK and it would work uh, on the web. It would work. The, uh, the Amazon platform has a way where you can submit apps to their store with HTML5. Um, most people are using React or React Native in that case. Um, and then the Samsung TVs are HTML5. Um, Opera actually has a really great platform for um, television connected devices and that's all in html5 using their existing browser technology so our, our hope was that we could cover a lot with that uh in the end we discovered that 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 kind of brought things down to a least common denominator that was not optimal for each piece so um we we ended up going back into a place where we targeted sdks to each of the of the different platforms now that means our footprint is a lot bigger than what we had hoped um, but the, the the good part of open source is that everyone has a need for one of these things. So if you if you have an immediate need, um, the the ability is there to just pitch in and start working on it and collaborate on it, um, which is a, a really wonderful thing and something that we've really 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 enjoyed um, about being an open source company. What is the standard set of API calls that each of these different SDKs? And for people who don't know, SDK stands for Software Development Kit. I think most people listening know that. But uh, what are the APIs that every kit 
whether it's iOS or Roku or Amazon, what do each of these SDKs need to implement? So we we kind of looked at our past experiences in and in, in video gaming, um, and also doing um, other OTT projects, and said so. So what are the like the, the the things that every single device has to do, whether it be like a mobile a mobile or an Apple TV or Roku or whatever the case may be. Um, and we we boiled it down to a kind of sequence of actions that has to happen, and then a standard type of data that comes through there. So, one of the, one of the mandates and design goals that we we had from the start was that you should be able to basically crawl through the entire API, and it it should be a RESTful API, and each of the documents should link to the other documents. So if you can get if you can get a reference to one document in the system. You, you should be able to find links to all the other documents. So, for example, a typical flow for a device would be when the, when the device, when the, when the app is booted up, it calls into the server for what we call a configuration document. And in that configuration document, there's links to several view documents. And uh, examples of those would be like a, a view which defines the menu, a view which defines the home screen, and a view which defines like maybe a, a promotional screen or something like that. So then the device knows where to get the data to fill all those views. And then it reaches out to get the, the collections of video and other types of content that are going to go in those spots. It can get those collections, and then the collections have links to the individual videos and so on and so forth. So essentially, if you can get if you can get a handle on, you know, at the very least, one of those documents, you can find links to all the others, which, which again, like going back to um, kind of the way the web came of age, where each document is hyperlinked to another. Um, it's really, um, you know, a, a beautiful design, really, when you think about it in, that, in the sense that not just sort of like the RESTful idea, but HTTP and HTML and the way the whole web grew up, we're trying to bring that back and make all this stuff interoperable. Are you talking about building a web of video channels that link to one another that is on top of the classic web protocols we have or maybe I don't I don't completely understand where where you're coming from. Yeah, well that's exactly that. I mean I mean we we certainly hope that'll happen someday. Um in the worst case scenario, we're hoping the way that this will this platform will be used is in the same way that RSS has been, has been used. Um the the grand Kind of the grand idea behind RSS with it, this sort of syndication system was going to be able to go everywhere and machines can communicate and you could be published every, anywhere. That maybe hasn't come to fruition, but at least it's made it a lot easier to move content around and provided some sort of standardized um, ways of moving content data that everyone you know, who's, who's in the engineering space sort of gets. And then everyone who's in the media space kind of sort of gets, you know, if you're, if you're any kind of a techie person, you know what an RSS feed is um, and kind of get that concept. So, I mean, we found that that that's true in video too, that if we can standardize that, so there's something called an MRSS feed. So, um, which is a media RSS feed and that that's typically been used to do, to do video stuff, but it doesn't have some of these other very specific features to to doing OTT over the top video, so a TV connected device sort of thing. Um, so we wanted to bring that into the picture too, but not throw away some of these grand ideas that were there. Now, granted, some of these things may never happen, um, and that could all be a pie in the sky. But at the very least, 
we 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 thought it could be a lot easier than it is and and that that was our design goal from kind of our the mandate we gave ourselves right from the start is that let's let's make this as easy as 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 software engineers let's make this as easy as we think it should be let's imagine let's imagine a future where you know it, it works in the way that we think it should and take some steps towards that okay so I think I'm getting to where uh, a, a better understanding of where you're coming from. I want to ask you a few more high-level things, and we can get into the in, the engineering internals of this, but just to get a better idea of the, the high-level picture. So you're talking about RSS feeds, and for those who don't know, RSS feeds are, for example, how podcasts get distributed. Why do we use RSS feeds to do certain things with the internet when we could be using HTML? Like I think of RSS feed as just another way of presenting what could also be presented as HTML. Right, right. It could. Um, so in the case of RSS where you're moving, you know, content around podcasts or, or blog posts or things like that, um, RSS is very easily consumable by machines. Um, and it's a little harder to write a piece of software to parse through HTML and move that data around. So, so it makes syndication easier. Um, not so much syndication. Oh, so this is basically like bytecode versus the actual higher level language. Right, right. So this is this is a kind of data format that's it's meant specifically for machines um, and kind of disregards humans. So it's it's for it's for moving media between machines, between content networks, ultimately for a human to view on whatever platform they're viewing from. And analogously, we can think of odd networks as presenting a format that is more digestible to machines with the express purpose of streaming video. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so what is the, for so today, you know, for example, if I'm using the Poker Central TV app or channel, what does that mean? And if I'm using it, can I change channels? Where does the paradigm of the old world of changing channels and doing things that we used to do with TV channels, where does that break down? Yeah, that's getting really muddy. So um, kind of the way it's been defined recently is that changing channels means changing apps. So if you're on your Roku, for example, and you're watching Poker Central, and then you want to watch another piece of content, you exit that app, go find your other app from your home screen and launch that second app that you would like to launch. Um, alternatively, we are seeing some, um, what are called multi-channel networks. Um, it's sort of a, a, a term that grew up out of YouTube where you have these channels that kind of aggregate content and brands together. And they, they kind of, it, by doing this, they're able to pool investment dollars, pool marketing dollars, and then more effectively market the content. So it's it's kind of like a cable channel. So we're sort of seeing in this new OTT world, whether it be YouTube or the TV connected devices, in this OTT world, you're seeing a, the birth of brand new cable channels, um, but at a much more fine grained level than what they would have been with traditional broadcast TV. Um, and these cable channels may focus on, um, you know, the people who are into you know, crafting. And there may be someone who's on YouTube who has built a huge audience around doing, um, you know, photo collages or something like that. 
um, and they may add them to their multi-channel network and there would be benefits both for the content creator and for the multi-channel network because of the pooling of resources. So you you may be able to change what, what looks to you. You may be changing channels in the sense that you're changing content within the same app, but not necessarily out of the same niche. You're still sort of in the same niche audience, but there may be a different brand or a different a different talent that you're watching within the app. Okay. So I think, you know, one thing you're getting at that was, this was not obvious to me at first because I don't have a Roku or an, an Apple TV. The experience for these different things is analogous to a smartphone. You open up an app to watch stuff. Maybe it's a Netflix app or a Hulu app or, in this case, a Poker Central app where it is essentially an app for watching video um, or watching video from several different channels and Odd Networks supports ha- supports a rich enough object model to have these different channels uh, multi or multi-channel apps, whatever you want to call it. Um, so, you know, if I write, is it write once, run anywhere? Do like, can I write my my Poker Central channel, and it works on Roku and iOS and so on, or does the does it require some like minor configurations between the different platforms? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So our, our goal was to be able to write once and run everywhere. Um, that was one of those kind of pie in the sky things. It's going to take a lot more time. Um, incidentally, that's something that even Netflix has kind of given up on the, the position that puts you in when you try to engineer something to, to run on every single platform is that you're then bound to the lowest common denominators for each one. So if something's not supported on one particular platform, you can't, you can't support it on another because you want to be able to run everywhere. So we, we, we quickly backed away from that and decided to target each device for its strengths and its weaknesses. And so each of the SDKs is targeted directly towards those devices. Um, There's a lot of sort of platforms and devices that we don't have SDKs for yet. Um, And that's why we kind of consider ourselves to be a platform for building SDKs. And then uh, around those SDKs, we've built several sample apps that should serve any kind of like general use case you could imagine. So the idea being at the very least, you should be able to, without any development, launch an app with your brand and your content in it on any one of the platforms where we have these sample apps for yet. Um, And the, the sample apps are all open source as well and the SDKs within them. And we're hoping to grow the ecosystem that way where where you can you can do this with almost zero development effort and in some cases absolutely no development effort and then when it when you really want to dig into it just kind of like maintaining your website or um or any any sort of other you know thing that we we think right today is very simple kind of trivial where 10 years ago it would have been really hard um so maintaining and updating and adding features to your channel on the apple tv should be as easy as you know moving some things around in wordpress um you know to improve your website to add add a wordpress plugin or or something like that but this is directly analogous to the evolution that we went through with mobile web where we said you know early on we're like okay we'll you know we've got all these platforms that are like 
you write a, an app in HTML5 and JavaScript, and you know it's going gonna, it's gonna to turn into a mobile app on iOS and Android. And those things never worked for like 10 years. And people kept trying this, and it just failed and failed and failed. And we could not boil the ocean. We just had this cross-platform nightmare. And then Facebook comes out with React Native, and they start to say, you know what, we're going to compromise and have this learn once, write anywhere philosophy uh, and it sounds like you at Odd Networks had the same realization that you you know if you can compromise and say okay we're going to have some notion of portability between these different platforms, uh, but but beneath that layer of portability on each platform we have a domain specific SDK that uh, gets us the performance that is not bottom of the barrel. Right. Exactly. Yep. The same thing. Yeah. We didn't take it quite as far as Facebook did with react native. Um, but they're, they're only targeting, you know, two major platforms with that. Um, you know, we've got to look at a lot more, you know, when you go into the TV connect device, like Roku, for example, like the technology that's on that device is really pretty primitive compared to a lot of the other platforms. It's made to do one thing. Um, it's not really a multi-purpose operating system. So, um, it, there's a lot more going for it. And, it, you know, it, it it says a lot when you look at a company like Netflix and with all the resources that they have, that they made the decision that they were going to start targeting each device separately. Yeah. Um, it just kind of um, it just kind of turned into a world where that was really the best way forward. Yeah, it's, it's such a tra- it's such a tragedy and such a waste of uh, effort across uh, the developer ecosystem as a whole. But Yes, I it's, it's too bad that is just the case. But um, yeah, I, I I think it's I think that the Netflix uh, thing is it makes a lot of sense. It is, um, yeah. You, you know, it, when I, when I look back at like so when I first got involved in software, it was like in the early days of the web, and it was just kind of this eye opening experience. Is like you can you can build this thing, and it it's not really that hard and it's kind of fun and you can send it out there and who knows who's going to be able to see it and it can be distributed around the world and all these platforms. Um, and then somehow we, we let that all slip away when, you know, we let these platforms grow up with, you know, silos between them. Um, you know, it's who knows how and why it happened. Um, but it's kind of the world we live in now. Yes. Um, so I think we have Steve Jobs to thank. Um, <laughs> but let, let's talk about the actual software engineering aspect of this. I mean, this is a huge uh, project and so many interesting things that we could talk about from it. But to get into the actual software engineering, there are several open source projects within Odd Networks. And the first that we can discuss is Oddworks. What is Oddworks? Yeah, Oddworks is what we call our content server. And that's the thing that actually serves um, those feeds. Uh, the, the protocol that it serves specifically is JSON API, and we try to follow that as closely as we can, the, the, the official specification for that. Um, we're, not, um, we're, we're definitely not 100% there, but we're, we're trying and trying to stick to that. I and mean, it's, it's really a great piece of work. And it's like one of those things where someone looked at, well, not someone, but a group of people looked at kind of best practices and the best practices not over the last couple of years, but over the last couple of decades. And and kind of figure out how to how to link media together through a RESTful API. Um, so that's why we made that decision. The 
the server itself, the Oddworks server, is a Node.js application. And the there are a couple of reasons we chose that. Uh, number one was accessibility, is that we, we wanted something that anyone, no matter what your background, you could at least look at the code and make sense of what was going on. And for the most part, um, with the exception of maybe Python, most engineers can look at JavaScript code and you may not like it or love it, but you can make sense of what's happening. Um, it's not like one of those really corner corner case types of languages. So that was there. And the other thing is that um, it's performant, at least performant enough um, or, or can be optimized to be performant enough because of the asynchronous environment that it runs in. Um, you can run, you know, multiple instances on the same machine and run them all statelessly. So we're not we're not doing like crazy multi-threaded stuff where you know you're doing a ton of processing. We're just serving content and we're optimizing for read. So when you've got um, when you've got an audience out there that's a couple hundred thousand people and a an episode of a particular show goes live and they all want that episode at as soon as it goes, then that thing goes out and you've got this swarming herd of people that come that are coming in there. Uh, Node handles that really well, and it's easy to scale it up. And it's something that we understood well, and we we kind of felt like had the largest sort of footprint of developers in the world who would understand how to do that. Okay, so talking more about what Oddworks is made up of, it's got stores and services and middleware. Can you describe the roles of these three different component types? Yeah, so we hadn't really fully wrapped our head around that architecture until um, we released the second version of it. The first version was just kind of a, um, you know, flying by the seat of our pants, cowboy coding thing where we we had customers to serve. Uh, we 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 had this notion that we, we did want to open source it eventually, um, but we weren't entirely comfortable with the problem space yet. So it was something we kind of had to work through and learn um, by making mistakes. And and we did that and then finally got some time to circle back and cover our technical debt. And we released Oddworks 2. Um, and now we have um, 3, which is coming in the pipeline, which is very, very similar to 2. But um, the, the architecture is that each component in the system talks to the others via a message passing system. So we have services that do various things. We have an identity service, which manages um, user identity. So if there's some user user data that you're tracking, like for example, users may, um, they may favorite a particular movie, they may give a video that they've seen a review, um, any sort of thing that you could use to give them better recommendations on what they might want to watch, for example, like all that sort of data is tracked in our identity management service. Then we have the catalog service and that tracks all of the, the actual content that's in your catalog. Um, and that's just one place where that the catalog can reach out and sync up with an, another online video provider. Like for example, you may have a large portion of your catalog in Vimeo. And we can sync over from that API to make that catalog available on the TV connected devices. Or you may have a custom content management system that you built that has an API where the catalog can reach out and sync your content from that and make it available on the TV connected devices. So that's what the catalog service does. Um, And then we have uh, a store. So the store is a very simple sort of um, key value store that we came up with where the idea being that you could put pretty much any database that you could think of behind it 
And as long as you complied with the API specification, it would work. So, um, so far we have uh, uh, implementations for Redis. Uh, there's a Postgres one in there. There's DynamoDB. So the idea being that we're, we're trying the best we can to not have strong opinions about how you should run your system and give you all the tools that you need to be able to put it together uh, and while you know most most people who are launching some sort of media property are dealing with a lot of legacy technology that needs to be integrated too so that that's another important point about being opinionated is that if your opinions are too strong in the software that you develop it can put you in a bad position when it comes time to integrate with some legacy stuff and we wanted to make that easy so so it's a very unopinionated framework um, but but it does provide you all the tools you need hopefully, to do the integrations that you need to do with whatever uh, you happen to have hanging around. I think what you say about the back compatibility and the uh, unopinionation mattering then uh, is important because as time goes on, some of these uh, platforms are going to become deprecated. Some of them are going to advance at faster rates than other ones. And if you have uh, this lack of opinionation, that it, then it will enforce um, compatibility even as some platforms become older than others. Uh, okay, I, I want to zoom out a little bit. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I definitely want to keep talking about the software engineering, more internal aspects of it, but something that came to mind, how do these apps get distributed and how do they get uploaded to these different uh, providers and uh, are, are is Odd Networks doing hosting? Talk some about the distribution story. Yeah, so um, we there was kind of two directions we could take our business from a business model. And it, so to, to answer this question, we, we kind of have to talk about that because it's something that everybody has to deal with. So um, we could either do something like uh, what a lot of the open source database companies do, where you write a database and then you write some tools around that database and, then you, and you provide a professional support license to some customers, you know, enterprise customers that would pay for that. Um, we decided that we would run a hosted, a managed hosted system. So we, we do we provide both uh, dedicated instances for our enterprise customers, which we, we fully manage and support. Um, and we're also releasing a SaaS product, which basically is all the open source stuff with some sugar on top. For um, and we're trying to make that as accessible as we possibly can in terms of price, so that a- anybody can get started with a video channel, and you don't have to worry about running servers and stuff like that. Um, but it is all open source, and it is a platform, and it is designed for anyone to use in any sort of context. Um, we ha- it just so happens that our business model is that we're going to be running uh, a SaaS model as well as some some enterprise-type licenses. Um, the hardest part of this whole business actually is the apps. Um, the the server-side stuff and moving data around and doing the integrations has actually been a pleasure to work with. But because of this sort of siloed ecosystem that we live in now, uh, which it, we don't seem to be able to reverse course on this at all, and, and some of the biggest software companies on the planet have tried. I mean, Facebook is one that r- really does, doesn't like this sort of siloed app system. Google is another one. Um, but it's just, it's just not turning around. So... Um, this is the world we live in and the one that we have to try to optimize for. And it, and it comes down to as soon as things are out of the hands of the software engineer. So it, it is, if you're not able to automate something, it really, really hurts. And one of my famous, one of my 
favorite quotes from, and also a famous one from Linus Torvalds was that the, the greatest software engineers find a way to get the work done without actually doing the work. And when it comes to submitting apps and getting them into the store and going through the review process and getting the distribution that you need for your business to grow on these app platforms, there's nothing you can do in terms of engineering to make that any easier. You have to do the human footwork, the sneaker network. Um, and it's really kind of unfortunate um, because it makes it a lot harder to do this no matter what we can do with the technology. So it's an open source platform, though. So does that mean that if I want to host it myself, I can do that? So maybe I host it myself and I upload, like I build my app using the Odd Networks framework and then I compile it or use the SDK with Roku and I can do it all myself and I don't need to have it hosted on Odd Networks or I can choose to have it hosted on Odd Networks. Could, could you disambiguate that for me? Yeah, exactly. So there's a few use cases there. We have a lot of very big customers that develop locally. So they have the SDK and they're building an app. Um, it's usually like five or six SDKs when they're, you know, when they look at all the devices that they're targeting and they're building the apps. And what they can do is they can, they can download the open source server and then put a bunch of static content on it so the developers can get to work before the business has really even flushed out like how the whole thing is going to work. So you can stand this server up in a few minutes and you've got the SDKs in hand and your developers can literally start on day one. And if the developers run into a problem, you can sort of um, massage the data by hand and, and it's it's sitting right there on the server it can, and the server could be running on your, on your Mac, on your laptop. And you can sort of tweak the data around to get it into a position where it's working in the app the way that you want it to work. And then the rest of the business can kind of be built around that. So you know, a lot of times something that's frustrating for developers is that you're oftentimes blocked by, you know, larger business decisions. Like, where is this going to be hosted? And, you know, what content management system are we going to use? And we don't know yet. And you're kind of waiting for these decisions to be made before you can move on with your development. Um, one of the really nice things that we've seen about the Oddworks platform is you can you can stand the platform up on your laptop and away you go. Uh, you don't have to wait for that stuff to happen. So so that's one use case. And then the other is that, yes, it, eventually um, everyone makes a decision on whether or not they want to run it themselves or turn it over to us and um, pay our either our SaaS license or um, negotiate with us for a, a larger enterprise instance. And does what is the advantage of of using the odd networks hosting because my understanding was if i deploy an app to roku or a channel whatever you want to call it roku does the scalability story what does odd networks need to host well roku does the the scalability story in the sense that they they distribute the app to the customers but the more the more viewers you have, the more the more times that RSS feed is going to be requested, um, and you get into some especially sticky situations in the video world. Um, and we learned this from the video gaming industry that you have certain times of day or when certain pieces of content they come out that are extremely popular, and the system needs to withstand a very high load for a short amount of time. Um, and, and that's just one use case, you know, there's a handful of these things. It's like weird sort of anomalies that happen in entertainment where, 
you have systems that that really take a lot of work and are very stressful to kind of run because you know if, if it goes down it's an embarrassment to the company you know viewers are angry at you and things like that and it's it's your you are ultimately responsible for how that um for lack of a better word how that rss feed is making it down to those apps that's not going through roku's system it's not going through apple's system it's going through the world wide web so, okay. so ultimately I, it's it's on the, the the owners of the platform yeah right okay so now i'm understanding because i deal with this with with my podcast i have it i have the actual mp3 hosted on a platform called libsyn you probably don't even know what libsyn is unless you're a podcaster but it's basically a podcast hosting service and cdn where i just upload the mp3 and then i put the mp3 on my RSS feed that is distributed by WordPress, and then I upload the RSS feed to iTunes. And what the end user experiences it as is, oh, I'm browsing through iTunes. It looks like iTunes is hosting this, but in actuality, that's not true. iTunes is just reading an RSS feed that is reading off of a WordPress, uh, or that is a translated version of a WordPress, which is reading the MP3 uh, link that is hosted on ultimately Libsyn and Libsyn is the endpoint at that will need to scale up and down um based on traffic and that's why I pay $75 a month to have a freaking mp3 hosted somewhere uh mm-hmm. because this is this is actually a difficult enough problem that I'm willing to pay $75 a month um yeah, I I say freaking not out of like complaint at Libsyn itself, just at like uh, that's that's why I pay for it, and uh, consequently, as I understand, that is analogous to why somebody would want to pay Odd Networks to host their channel because Roku is not actually hosting the content; Roku is hosting the indexing service of the content. It sounds like. Yeah, exactly. Actually, the the content is not flowing through Roku system at all. Um, So where that's a little a little different from the iTunes story is that um, truth be told, iTunes is probably doing some caching there um, just to help on performance a little bit and ensure that the the user of the iPhone and the iPad is having a good experience there in the in the in the app world, like outside of distributed content, like, like, um, you know, anything that's being sold through iTunes so that you, you can sell videos through, through iTunes too. Uh, so out, outside of that content world, anything that's going on inside the app is not flowing through the platform ecosystem at all. So any content that's flowing through your app on, uh, an iPhone or a Roku or an Apple TV or an Xbox, all of that content is flowing right over the wide open World Wide Web, and it's not it's not being optimized or helped along by those platforms at all. So that's what we do. We in in we're we're optimized for read speed, and we're looking. We look at a lot of things like caching um, and dealing with the different sorts of caching scenarios, which is you know that's always kind of the the you know, one of the crown problems for software engineers is, is working with caching so that that one gets kind of interesting. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that, that's it is like trying to smooth that all out and make that, make that experience work for both the content owners in the sense that they can, they can update their content and get expedient updates as, and also make sure the whole thing doesn't fall over when, you know, you have a very hungry audience. Mm. 
Okay, so we're you know already uh, nearing the end of the time, but this is just I, I want to go into a little more software engineering stuff before we wrap up. Um, so the you know you mentioned this message passing layer. So uh, some of the platform communicates through synchronous REST calls, but the inner guts of the system uses asynchronous message passing. Um, exactly. And this is this is a system called Oddcast, uh, and maybe you could talk a little bit about Oddcast and why you needed to build a message passing system. Yeah, um, so that's been one of my favorite projects, um, and I, I think we're like one of the only people using it right now. But it's a it's a Node.js library um, for doing asynchronous message passing, and it was inspired by Erlang. Um, and a few of us at Odd Networks. Um, we we like Erlang and functional languages and Elixir, and this whole this whole idea that you can pass a message through a system and how that message arrives at its destination is totally um, opaque to you as a developer, and you really don't have to care about that. It's it's a wonderful thing. Um, you know, you could you could send um, you know a couple of data attributes that would instruct a function to perform some task, and that function and where that task is performed, it could be in the same thread on the same machine. It could be in a different thread on the same machine, or it could be on a different machine on the other side of the world. Um, and it, that is to you as a developer, you don't know how that works and you don't have to care. And, and that's, that opens up a whole world of possibility when it comes to like sort of plugging things together and building plugins that work because, for example, you could say, well, we have this gigantic legacy database and there's no way we're going to get this thing moved over to this other sort of more update technology. Um, but if we write an adapter for Oddcast, we can, it will sort of automatically and transparently just shove all of that data into the Odd Networks catalog system and we'll make that available out on the devices. So, for example, the, the adapters for Oddcast run over, you know, you could build them for any protocol, but... Um, we have one for the AWS system that sends uh, messages through um, the simple notification system, the SNS system, as well as um, the simple queue system, um, Amazon's uh, guaranteed queue. Uh, and then we we pass them around the local system. So in, if you've got you know multiple instances uh, running on on different threads, different processes on the same on the same machine, we'll pass messages between those things, um, and that ge- that that makes your your whole system sort of stateless in the sense that it forces all the developers to work in the sense of like I'm sending this message somewhere and I don't know when it's going to arrive um, and if it will succeed successfully, but it doesn't really matter. It's kind of up to the other system, the system that's going to receive this message. And I think this fits in nicely with the manifesto of Oddcast, which suggests that MVC and object-oriented programming do not componentize our systems well enough, and w- that we should instead look at CQRS as a way to break up our systems. Uh, I know we're up against time, but can you just explain what is CQRS? How does this contrast with MVC and object-oriented programming? How does it improve upon these problems of synchrony? Yeah, so um, CQRS, uh, I should say that stands for... Um uh, uh, command query, uh, desegregation. So, um, command query separation, I think is the actual, or, Res- or is it command query response, responsibility segregation. Yes, that's it. Um, so 
it's uh you know these sort of big brains and software kind of started flirting with this idea it, it was martin fowler who actually put it down in words and and wrote up a blog post about it so if you're interested in learning more learn up look up cqrs um followed by martin fowler and uh, there's a a world of information there but the the idea the idea was that you have um mvc systems model view controller where the models are performing two functions and they they contain the logic for how to write data into the system and persist it as well as logic for how to read data from the system and the problem that software systems run into when they start to get more mature is that when you read data from the system you're often reading what's called derived data which is um, a lot of other information like when you when let's take the, the example of a video um, when you when you view a, a video on your iPhone and you see the title and the thumbnail and you see the description and maybe some user ratings, um, that's not one record. That's There's a lot of records there. There's the record of the user. There's a record of all the user ratings that are associated with that video. And then there's probably some recommended videos that come along with that. Those are all the, so that view that you're looking at on your screen is comprised of a lot of records from potentially a lot of different places. And we are all, we were, we were always trying to jam that entire bit of logic into this model. And we're like, so which model should be tracking the recommended videos and, should this whole thing be a view and how does that all hook together? Uh, and it, it gets to the point where the technical debt starts to build up. It gets, the system gets hard to work on as it gets mature. So if you break these all up and you sort of force them to communicate with each other through these asynchronous message passing systems, then you're, you basically write a design constraint into the system, which disallows you from putting yourself in a position where the technical debt is built up large enough that you just can't kind of keep up keep up with it. Um, so, so in order to separate the the models into two two kind of categories, ones that read and ones that write, you have to have this message passing system in order to keep everything in sync. So the the read side, the stuff that's doing the queries, the index table, for example, if you're if you're if you've got your recommended videos for a particular video all indexed on a table, so you can read them off fast, which is you really you you have to do. You can't you can't read recommended videos out of a recommendation engine fast enough if they're not indexed. So they're in a fast read index. That index has to stay updated with if that user happens to like another video, it's probably going to change what their recommended videos are. And so eventually that message has to make it into the recommendation service. It's then going to update that index. So the next time that person views that page, or maybe while they're still on that page, they're going to see new recommended videos coming in based on a new rating that they gave one of their videos. Okay. Uh, that's, that's a reasonable place to stop. I, we have so much more that we could have discussed. We'll certainly have to do another episode about odd networks at some point in the future. Um, so if you're listening to this and you want to create your own channel or app on one of these over-the-top services, you should check out oddnetworks.com. kind of makes me want to make a software engineering daily uh, video channel. That would be pretty cool. Um, okay, yeah. Chris, thanks We're for coming on the show. I, 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 yeah, I, I think they will. And uh, this project is clearly very popular. It's catching some... Uh, crazy popularity. So, Chris, thanks for coming on the show and thanks for working on such an interesting project. Thanks so much, Jeff. It was a pleasure. SafeGraph is building a company to securely monetize exhaust data. 
If you are amazingly entrepreneurial, you live in San Francisco, and you want to be one of the first five employees at SafeGraph, either as an engineer or a business development person, check out SafeGraph.com. Wow! 